listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Northern Colorado. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com. morning. Once again, welcome to Whitefields Community Church. Please open with me in your Bibles to the book of 2 Peter, 2 Peter. And we're going to be in chapter 3. That's the last chapter. So in your Bible, if you're not sure where that's at, it's right after 1 Peter, last chapter of 2 Peter. And it's also in your, your table of contents. If you use the Bible app, we encourage you to use the Version Bible app. Hey, before we get into our study, here in 2 Peter chapter 3, I just got a quick update for you on the building. So last Sunday, uh, many of you came with us. We had an open house at this property we've been looking at over a little bit on the east side of town, like 119 in County Line Road area. And uh, we're moving forward with this property, especially, you know, we really appreciated those of you who took the time to come out and give us, you know, your feedback and all that. And it was overwhelmingly positive. And we, we really do feel like this is a good deal. This seems to be the way that God is moving us. So we're continuing down this road. And we were actually planning to sign the contract this past week. I was kind of hoping that this Sunday, you know, we'd have like big announcement, all that stuff. Um, but we are delaying signing the contract because we're just waiting for a few things to get worked out. We want to make sure that we do our due diligence before we sign anything, uh, because once you, you sign it, and you know that's not possible anymore. So, particularly, there's this thing uh, this week, uh, which is called a triple net reconciliation that needs to get done before we can uh, agree to anything. So, just pray. It's supposed to be done on Friday. And if everything pans out the way we expect it to, then we'll be moving forward from then. And I just want to give you guys like a timeline, because this is coming, this is going to happen pretty fast. This location is a kind of a turnkey solution, right? And so uh, what it would look like is uh, we, if everything goes according to plan still, our first service in that new space is going to be on March 29th, March 29th. It's just in four weeks from now. So March 29th, and, uh, but there's going to be a lot of updates about that, both here in church and on Realm, which is kind of the way that we, we share news with people in our community. If you're not on Realm, on your bulletin, it shows you how to get on Realm, so you can make sure that you get those notifications. But like I said, we'll be in giving further announcements here in church. It's exciting, but we still need to pray because we, we haven't signed anything yet. So please be praying for that triple net reconciliation to get done. And then once that's done, if, uh, if everything in the contract is right, then we're going to go ahead and sign it. So be praying about that, but these are exciting times. This is a good thing to be on, and uh, you know, these journeys of faith, when we step out in faith and stretch like this, these are the times when we really grow, not just as individuals, but here as a congregation, kind of banding together, uniting behind this goal of reaching people with the gospel and having a space where we can do ministry to kids and to youth and to more people hearing the Bible, Bible studies. So be praying for that and be looking for those updates coming soon uh, about that building. So for the past several weeks, we have been in a series on Sunday mornings called Pilgrim's Progress. And this is our study through the books of First and Second Peter. And we, we started this back in like end of October and we went through November. That was First Peter. And then we started up again after the new year. In the month of February, we've been studying 2 Peter, and today we're going to finish 2 Peter here as we look at chapter 3. So that's exciting. These letters were written by the Apostle Peter, and they were written at the end of his life. If you consider who Peter was, he's writing to Christians all over the Roman Empire. Christians spread out all over the Roman Empire. Now, during his lifetime, think of the things that Peter saw and experienced. Peter saw Jesus. He walked with Jesus. He heard Jesus 
teach. He saw Jesus' glory. After Jesus was crucified, Peter saw Jesus resurrected from the dead. And Peter saw the Christian church be birthed and come into existence. He was there on the day of Pentecost when that happened. He watched as the church spread throughout the world, right? First in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and then to the other most parts of the earth. Right? He saw it spread like wildfire, the gospel and this Christian movement of following Jesus as people heard about who Jesus was and what Jesus had done and what it meant for them, their salvation. And so he watched as Christianity spread and more and more churches were started and Christian, people became Christians all over the Roman Empire. And people also, uh, Peter also watched as about 30 years after Jesus' resurrection and ascension into heaven in 64 AD, a great persecution was started by the Roman government against Christianity. And they began persecuting Christians, you know, burning them, you know, covering them in tar and burning them, you know, taking them into the, the um, Colosseum and having them just be ripped apart by animals as entertainment, you know, drowning them in mass in lakes. He watched as this was happening. And Peter, having seen all of these things, now as an elder statesman later in his years, as an apostle, somebody who's been around from the beginning, he's seen it all, he picks up his pen and he writes to the Christians all over the world who were shaken and scared and troubled by this persecution and by what was happening. Their faith was being put to the test by these trials and by this suffering and hardship. Now, Peter himself, remember, he was not immune to these problems at all. He's writing this letter from the mouth of the lion, from Rome itself, the epicenter of the persecution. Paul the Apostle had already been captured. He had already been executed by beheading just a few years before this. And shortly after this letter was written, 2 Peter, Peter was also captured and executed himself. So this letter is really a dead man writing, right? This is the final words of a man at the end of his life. And Peter is wanting to remind us what Christianity is all about. Bring us back to the core, the heart, the central theme, the central message, the hope of Christianity. And, and he wants to give us some parting words of encouragement. And in this chapter, Peter answers some questions that are questions that you and I often ask. Maybe they're questions that people ask you who know that you're a Christian about life and about God even today. So we're gonna look at that. Let's begin by reading our text. We're gonna read the first 13 verses of chapter three. This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God and that by these means the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but he is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, 
And then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for the hastening and coming of the day of the Lord, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word and we thank you for this promise. This promise that your promises will be fulfilled at one day. Lord, we thank you for your patience. Thank you, God, that you were patient, that you waited for us, that you gently drew us. Lord, you were long-suffering towards us, and we thank you for that, Lord. We pray that as we study these words, Lord, show us things that we need to learn from them. Help us to grow in these areas. Help us to be not just hearers of your word, but doers of it. Lord, help us that these words would be to us. They would be like bread. They would be uh, living words that give life, uh, that nourish our souls, Lord, and also equip us to be on mission with you in the world. And we pray that in Jesus' name, amen. How many of you have ever gone through something really difficult and you've asked the question, at least in your mind, God, if you could have stopped this, why didn't you? God, if you could have stopped this, why didn't you? Or God, if you could put an end to this right now, why don't you? Why do you let it continue? I think that's a pretty common feeling. I think that as we look around the world, we see suffering, pain, hardship, death, you know, injustice, unfairness. And we can't help but wonder, well, if God can do anything, then why doesn't he do something? Why doesn't he stop this? Why doesn't he put an end to this? But guys, I've got good news for you. The, the answer to this is that God has done something. And you're like, okay, well, cool, end of Bible study, right? All right, so God has done something. Okay, the word gospel means good news, right? And the good news is that God has done something, and that good news is called the gospel. It's the good news of what God has done. And the message of the gospel is that God has done something in order to put an end to stop all that is wrong in the world, evil, injustice, sickness, death, pain, hardship, frustration. The Bible says that God so loved the world that he sent his only son. God came to us in Jesus. Jesus became one of us so that through his life, his death, his resurrection, he might put an end to all these things forever, these things that are broken in the way that things are right now, and that he would one day make all things right. The Bible says this, that through Jesus' death and resurrection, Jesus abolished death and brought about life and immortality. He abolished death. On the cross, Jesus defeated sin and conquered death and the devil. And yet, if you look around, you'll notice we're still dealing with some problems related to sin, death, and the devil. So what's that? If he defeated these things, didn't Jesus defeat these things? Why are they still around? Why aren't they gone? I thought he, he defeated them, right? I thought Jesus came, you might say. Doesn't the Bible say Jesus came to establish a new order, a kingdom of peace and justice? When's that going to happen? When are we going to see that? Imagine if you were a Christian living at the time when Peter wrote this letter, you know, you're suffering, your friends are suffering, your family's suffering, you're being persecuted for your faith. You might be wondering and asking a question, God, you say that you love us, you say that you adopted us and now we're your children, then why are you letting this happen to us? 
If we're your children, why are you letting these people do these things to us? Why don't you do something, God? Why are you just letting this go on? Why don't you step in and put an end to this? Why don't you save us and judge them? You know, this isn't a new question. King David asked the same question a thousand years before Peter wrote 2,000 years ago. Okay, King David, he asked this question over and over in his Psalms. He says, how long, O Lord? How long will the, uh, you know, the unrighteous prevail? How long will evil persist? How long will you allow suffering to continue? This is a question that many of us ask, right? This is a question that we, we deal with quite frequently. If God is going to judge the world and, and bring salvation and put an end to evil and suffering, then what is he waiting for? Why hasn't he done it yet? Peter answers that question for us here in chapter three. The title of today's message is The Patience of God, The Patience of God. And there are two things that Peter addresses in this regard. First of all, he talks about understanding God's timing. And secondly, he's gonna talk about how to live in the last days. Okay, so let's talk about that first one, understanding God's timing. Now, under this heading, there are three questions that Peter answers for us in regard to understanding God's timing. Let's, let's just walk through those questions. Number one, what is this promise of his coming that Peter refers to in chapter three, verse four? What is the promise of his coming? Okay, let's just work our way through the text. Verse one, it says this. Now, this is the second letter that I'm writing you, beloved. In both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. They say that the mark of a good teacher is repetition. Let me say that one more time. The mark of a good teacher is repetition. This is the second time in this letter that Peter has talked about the importance of being reminded about things that we already know. The other time he mentioned it, by the way, chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. And here's something interesting. In Paul's letter to Timothy, his second letter to Timothy, Timothy was a young pastor who Paul was mentoring in ministry and in life. In Paul's second letter to Timothy, Paul reminds Timothy in this one section, he reminds him what the gospel is. Now that's interesting, right? Because Timothy's a pastor. He probably knows what the gospel is. Like that's just kind of like a prerequisite, right? Before being a pastor. And so, but Paul tells him, he says, Timothy, this is the gospel. He says, Jesus died for us. And because he died, we will live with him. Because of what Jesus did, we have the hope of salvation. We have the hope of eternal life. We have the promise of God's faithfulness towards us. And then he tells Timothy, Timothy, your job as a pastor, your job as a Christian leader, here's what it is. Your job is to remind people of these things. So again, this guy, Timothy, he's a pastor. And Paul's reminding him about Jesus and the gospel. That's stuff Timothy already knows, isn't it? Of course, but Paul reminds him of it. And then he tells him, and Timothy, your job is to remind other people. That's how this works. Here's why, guys. The Christian life isn't primarily about learning new things or hearing new things that you haven't heard before. It's about these timeless truths and taking them, receiving them, believing them, and applying them to your life, living them out as you walk in relationship with God. And I'll tell you what, doing that is plenty enough to keep you busy for the rest of your life. I guarantee it. You know, the Bible's a pretty big book, but honestly, it's not that big. This one right here, 1,042 pages. I looked last night. 1,042 pages. What that means, if you read three pages a day, then you will read through the whole thing in a year. 
Like some Harry Potter books are almost this long, okay? So let's, let's just be clear that this is a big book, but it's not like the biggest book in the world. Now, why do I say that? Here's why. Because when you first start reading the Bible, everything's brand new, right? And, and you're like, everything's new. You're like, wow, I've never heard that before. Whoa, that story is so interesting and crazy and I got to figure that out, right? And there's all these new principles and it's just blowing your mind every time you turn around and everything's new and exciting. But guess what? The longer you're a Christian, we have one book here. The longer you're a Christian, the times in which you say, wow, I've never heard that before, they happen less and less over time. And more and more you find yourself saying, yeah, I've heard that before. Or, yeah, I know that story already from the Old Testament. I've read it. I've heard it. Or, or, yeah, I know what the Bible says on that topic. And when that happens, you shouldn't feel disappointed. You shouldn't feel discouraged. That's the goal, right? That's the goal to get to that point. Why? Because the purpose of our study is not to find new insights and, and things that nobody has ever noticed or heard before. Rather, the goal is to give you a steady diet of God's truth and his word to nourish your soul. Remember, we talked about that last week, how good doctrine nourishes our souls. And the other purpose here is to equip you for life and service to God and others. You know, the Bible really only talks about a certain number of things, right? So there's only so many things the Bible talks about. And some things it talks about a lot more than it talks about other things. For example, we all agree Jesus was a great teacher. But if you break down all the things that Jesus taught by category, what you'll find is that he talked about a few things over and over again, a few things a lot. He repeated things. Now, there were, there were a lot of things that Jesus didn't talk about, right? Jesus didn't say anything about how to fix your car. He didn't say anything about healthcare reform. You know what he talked a lot about? He talked about eternity, God. He talked about money. He talked about relationships. And he talked about those things over and over. In other words, being reminded of things that you already know, it's really important. It's really important. A few weeks ago, I got asked to speak at a pastor's conference in Europe, and that was a great honor, but it was also a bit challenging because think about it. What am I going to say to these guys that they don't already know, right? A lot of these guys have already been pastors longer than I have, some of them much longer than I have, and anything I teach on, that's stuff that they've probably taught on themselves. They already know it, and they could probably teach it. Some of them could probably teach it better than me. So what do you do? Well, this friend of mine I was over there with, he put it this way. He said this, and I, I think this was really good. He said, you know, the heart of Christian fellowship is reminding each other of things we already know at just the right time. The heart of Christian fellowship is reminding each other of things we already know, in theory, at just the right time. And that's what Peter's doing here for these guys in this letter. He's reminding them about stuff that they already know, in theory, He's reminding them about some important truths which are particularly relevant to what they're going through at this moment. And let me just encourage you in this. You know, I said, if you read three pages a day, you could read through the whole Bible in a year. That's true, guys. And I would really encourage you to do that. And I, I challenge you, do that. Read through the whole Bible in a year. It is not impossible. It's totally doable. And it will transform your life. Think about how much more you will know God, how much more you will know his word if you spent a year reading through his, his word and got through the whole thing. You would understand things in context. You would, be, you would really draw near to God by doing that. And let me encourage you in this as well. 
Read your Bible, even if you've already read it before, right? You're reading a section, well, I know what this says. Just read it, read it, here's why. You know, here's another thing. Study the Bible with others, even if you already know that, that story or that passage. Here's why. You never outgrow these things. You never don't need to hear these things. These are the words of life. These are living and powerful words. And what happens is as you read and you study, what you're doing is it's like imagine that you know in your mind there's a warehouse. You're taking these things, you're putting them on the shelf in the warehouse. You're storing them up, storing them up. You may not need them right now, but someday you or maybe somebody else through you is going to need those words and when they do, you've got them. You just pull them off the shelf and you've got it because you've been storing up God's word in your heart and your mind. That's what that's the psalmist said in Psalm 119, I store your word up in my heart. So that's what we're doing. And I would encourage you to do that. So what is the important truth that Peter wants to remind these guys about? Well, in verse three, he tells them it's the promise of God's coming, the promise of God's coming. Now, so what is the promise of God's coming? Well, first of all, Peter tells us in verse two, the promise of God's coming is something which has been predicted by the holy prophets. It was spoken of by Jesus and now by your apostles, he calls them. Now, this is important for a couple reasons. First of all, it tells us this is not just some newfangled teaching, right, that, that is unique to Christianity. It's not something that the apostles came up with. You know, there's a recent advent to Christianity. No, this has been the consistent, continual teaching of the Old Testament prophets through Jesus and in the apostles. And by the way, just a side note, that's a great test for any doctrine. We talked last week about the importance of doctrine. Test it this way. Is it taught in the Old Testament? Is it taught by Jesus? Is it taught in the apostles, right, in the New Testament letters? But the reason, the second reason why verse two is important is because Peter is putting the writings of the apostles, right, the New Testament letters, like one we're reading right now, he's putting them on the same level, on par with the writings of the holy prophets, which are the writings of the Old Testament. In other words, what Peter is telling us is that during his lifetime, Christians considered the New Testament writings to be Holy Scripture in the same way that they considered the Old Testament to be Holy Scripture. In fact, in verses 15 and 16, you can look there now, Peter mentions the writings of Paul, which remember, Paul's passed away already at this point, so all of Paul's writings are, are completed. These are books that we have in our New Testaments, right? The letters of Paul written to different churches, and Peter refers to them in verse 16 as Scripture. That's really important. That means that these aren't things that were just, you know, they were letters, and then a couple hundred years later, people said, well, these are holy scriptures. No, they were considered holy scriptures at that time when they were fresh off the presses. And, and so what does that mean, right? It means that when Peter wrote this letter, most of the New Testament was already written and in distribution amongst the churches. They would take the New Testament books, just like we do. They would study them. They would read them. They would use them as scripture, and they considered them the inspired word of God just in the same way that the Jewish people considered the Old Testament to be the inspired word of God. So the question, were the apostles aware that they were being inspired to write Holy Scripture as they wrote it? Did Peter realize as he's writing this letter that he's writing Holy Scripture? I don't know if we can know for sure, but I would, I would venture to say, I think sometimes they did, and maybe other times they didn't, but we don't know for sure. 
We do know this, that even at this early point, the New Testament was considered Holy Scripture, the Word of God by the early Christians. So what is the promise of God's coming? Well, let's just go through it because he tells us what it is. That which was predicted in the Old Testament, promised by Jesus and spoken of by the apostles. He tells us in verse seven, number one, the day of God's coming is going to be a day of judgment and destruction for the ungodly. He says in verses 10 through 12 that this is the day of the Lord, that Old Testament concept of the day of the Lord. And he says, and here's what will happen. The Lord will come. The heavens will pass away with a roar. The heavenly bodies, which is stars, right? They will be burned up and they will be dissolved. The earth and everything in it will be exposed. He says in verses 11 and 12, that all things will be dissolved and the entire galaxy will be destroyed with fire. Verse 13, he says that this won't only be a day of judgment, however. This will also be, for some, a day of salvation because it will be at this time that God fulfills his promise to bring about a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And we read about that new heavens and new earth in Revelation chapter 21 at the end of the Bible. And here's what it says. It says, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death will be no more. Neither will there be mourning nor crying nor pain for the former things have passed away. Now this, this phrase, the day of the Lord, this is a really important concept in the Old Testament, particularly in the Old Testament prophets. They talk about, hey, the day of the Lord will come, the great and awful day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is a time when God intervenes in human history, right? When God gets involved with what's going on here on earth. You know, we we often ask that question, God, when are you going to do something? The day of the Lord is the time when God will intervene, when he will do something. And the day of the Lord always includes judgment upon those who do evil and salvation for those who belong to God. So day of judgment for those who do evil and day of salvation for those who belong to God. Throughout the Old Testament, we know that there were many smaller days of the Lord, right? There were, there were times when God intervened and brought judgment and brought salvation through judgment, right? Times like in the flood in Noah's time or the, the destruction of Sodom in the time of Lot, And Peter actually mentions the flood there in verse six. But all of those smaller days of the Lord that happened in the past, they were just foreshadowings. They were just previews of the day of the Lord, which is still yet to come. And what Jesus told us, right, when he came, here's what Jesus told us. He said, the day of the Lord is coming and here's what will happen on the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord will be the day when I return to the earth, the day of God's coming, the day when Jesus returns. Now, we often refer to this as the second coming of Christ. It's something that Jesus clearly taught. I mean, he taught it a lot, and the early Christians absolutely expected it. Uh, In John chapter 14, at the Last Supper, Jesus told his disciples, he said, I'm going to leave you, I'm going to depart from you. Uh, He says, I'm going to die, I'm going to be resurrected, but then I'm going to go to the Father. And here's what Jesus told them. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. In Jesus' first coming, he came in meekness and humility. He came to live as one of us. He came to live the life that we should have lived, right? A life of perfect obedience to God. And he didn't just come to live a perfect life. He also came to die a sacrificial death. He came to die the death that you and I deserve to die. He took the judgment for our sins in order to make atonement before God so that you could be forgiven, so you could be reconciled. And through his death, Jesus broke the power of death 
so that we could have eternal life. Now, that was his first coming. But in his second coming, Jesus isn't going to come as a suffering servant. Jesus is going to come as a conquering king. He'll come in glory. He'll come as judge and ruler. In his first coming, he came to provide salvation. In his second coming, he will come to deliver that salvation. So that's what the coming of God is that we're talking about here. Uh, and, And that leads us to the second question regarding God's timing that Peter answers, and that's this. Are we living in the last days? Are we living in the last days? Sometimes people ask this question. Well, Peter says this in verse three. He says, hey, look, we know that there will be scoffers who will come in the last days saying, where is the promise of his coming? It would seem that Peter is applying this to his own time, that there were people at that time who scoffed at the idea of Jesus' return and the day of the Lord. In other words, Peter is telling his readers that they are living in the last days. He's telling them, this is it, guys. There will be scoffers in the last day. There are scoffers now. We're living in the last days. Peter reminds them that people would scoff at the idea of God's judgment and Jesus' return. And he says people are doing that and just like they do it nowadays, right? People would scoff at the idea that God will bring judgment or that God will bring salvation. Peter says, look, that's a sign that we're in the last days. Now, I'm sure some of you might be thinking, Peter wrote this letter a super long time ago, right? This is like 2,000 years ago. And if Peter thought that he was living in the last days 2,000 years ago, well, then does that mean that Peter was wrong? That he wasn't actually living in the last days? All of the early Christians believed that Jesus was going to return within their lifetimes, and he didn't. He still hasn't returned. So if those early Christians thought they were living in the end times, then who's to say that we're living in the end times? Well, to understand this, you have to understand what the end times is, right? What that, what that word means, or the last days. And here's the answer. Are we living in the end times? Yes. Was Peter and, and people in his day, were they living in the end times when he wrote this letter? Also, yes. How does that work? Here's why. Because the end times or the last days, right? It's a period which began with Jesus' ascension into heaven. It's a period that, that began with Jesus' ascension. Now, how do I know that? Here's how I know that. Because in Acts chapter 2, we read about the events that took place on the day of Pentecost, The day of Pentecost was 10 days after Jesus' ascension. And at that time, we read that the Holy Spirit was poured out on 120 believers who were gathered in an upper room in Jerusalem, and they began to speak the mighty works of God in different languages, multiple languages. And people who were, they were like in an upper room with a balcony, people looked up at them and they're like, what is going on? These people are drunk and it's only nine o'clock in the morning. And so Peter comes out on the balcony and he says, you know, men and brothers, right? People of Jerusalem, these people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. They're not drunk. Rather, what is happening here is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel. And then he quotes from Joel chapter two, where Joel says that, now catch this, in the last days, God will pour out his spirit on all flesh and these sorts of things will happen, right? In other words, what is Peter saying? Peter is saying, he's showing these people, this is what happened. Joel said it would happen in the last days. The time is now. In other words, we are now, the last days have commenced. They have begun. 
Since that time, we have been living in the last days for 2,000 years, ever since Jesus' ascension into heaven. You could kind of think of it like this, right? You could think of it like history was moving linearly for so long, you know, until Jesus ascended into heaven. History was moving linearly, racing towards the end of the age. But with Jesus' ascension, it's almost as if uh, history took a right turn, and now we're running parallel to the end of the age, and none of us knows when it will come. Jesus told us that it would come at a time when no one expected it, like a thief, it even says here in our text. Now, the reason that's important is because we need to understand the early Christians were not wrong to, to expect Jesus' coming in their own lifetimes. That was exactly what Jesus wanted them to do. And for us, it means that there is nothing preventing Jesus from coming back at any time. It says in verse 10 that when he comes, it will be like a thief. When my wife and I lived in Hungary, our house got broken into by thieves. Uh, we had gone out to dinner. We had a great time. We came home at like 8.30, 9 o'clock at night, and our house was trashed, right? Everything was pulled out, drawers pulled out, dumped on the floor. Our house was trashed, and everything of value was gone, including many things that we'll never be able to replace. Now, the thing about getting robbed is, the thieves didn't give us a heads up, right? Like they didn't text us and say, hey, we'll be over at Tuesday at 7.30. They don't do that. Why? Well, because they're, they're coming at a time when you don't expect it. They're going to come when they want, whether it's convenient for you or not. You know how to be ready for a thief? Always be ready. That's the only way to be ready for a thief. Be ready all the time because you don't know when they're coming. And that's the point here. How should you be ready for the coming of Jesus? You should be ready all the time. We'll talk about what it looks like to be ready in just a minute, but let's answer the, let's look at the third question that Peter answers regarding the timing of God, and that's this. Why does God delay his coming? Why does God delay his coming? Now, first of all, let me be clear, because I know some of you are like, red flag, God doesn't delay anything, right? Okay, here's the deal. God doesn't actually delay his coming. God's coming hasn't been delayed or postponed as if he's kind of just playing it by ear, right? Like improvising, like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm, I'll figure it out when I get there. No, no, God's not playing it by ear. He's not figuring it out as he goes. He knows exactly the times that he has set and determined for what he's going to do and when he's going to return. But from our perspective, it might seem as if God's coming is delayed, okay? So that's just a perspective issue. Now, but why is that? Well, Peter tells us in verse 8 that the reason it might seem to us like God is delaying his coming is because our sense of time is very different than God's sense of time. Peter tells us in verse 8, do not overlook this fact, brothers, that with the Lord a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. God measures time differently than we do. We're like, God, this is taking forever. It's been 2,000 years. And Peter's like, guys, for God, that's not even a long time, right? God is eternal. He exists outside of time and space. That's why Peter says in verse 9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, but he's patient, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God isn't slow, but he is patient, and God's patience has a purpose, and that purpose, the reason God hasn't come back yet is because there are more people he wants to save. There are more people he wants to rescue and redeem and bring into his family. And let me just tell you this. I'm sure glad he waited for me, right? Aren't you glad that he waited for you? Many of us who are Christians today, we're like, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come, deal with the wickedness in the world. Come, bring your righteousness, bring your kingdom. But look, if Jesus would have returned 10 years ago or 20 years ago, some of us would have been on the wrong side of that equation, 
right? We're glad that he waited for us to come. It's kind of like how everybody who's here in Colorado, like we don't want anybody else to move here, right? Like I, I grew up here, all my cousins, that's all they do is write online about how much they hate those people who came here from out of state, all the traffic, they're ruining Denver, they're doing all this stuff. It's like, hey, look, unless you're Native American, your family moved here at some point. But as soon as you get here, you're like, us and no more, right? The door's closed. We don't want anybody else to enjoy this. We want to enjoy it for ourselves. Nobody else coming in and ruin it. Now, some of us can be like that as Christians. Like, we're like, okay, now that I'm in, now that, now that I've got my, my ticket or whatever, now that I'm in, come quickly, Lord Jesus, right? Bring judgment on the evildoers. Give me that new heavens and new earth. But God's like, hang on a second. There's a bunch of evildoers out there that I'm planning to save. Hey, and just to remind you, you were one of those evildoers, weren't you? At one time, aren't you glad that I waited for you? Well, I'm gonna wait for some more people too. And what that means is this. Don't confuse God's patience with God's permission. Don't confuse God's patience with God's permission. Judgment is coming, but God's patience has a purpose, that people would have the opportunity to repent, to receive salvation that he's provided through Jesus. Now, here's what that means for you. If you're here today and you haven't yet trusted in Jesus, you haven't yet put down your yes and stepped over that line and put your faith in what he did to save you, now's the time to do it, right? There's a window of time right now that's not going to be open forever, and we don't know how long it's going to be open for. At some point, it will close, it's why in the book of Hebrews in chapter four, the writer says, you know, hey, if you hear God calling your voice today, do not harden your heart. Today's the day of salvation. You don't know how much time there is left. And look, if you've already done that, if you're like, yep, I've done that, I've trusted in Jesus, then remember this, that God has given us a mission. It's a mission to go fishing, right? It's a mission to share the good news about Jesus with others so they can hear and believe. And, and there's a sense of urgency to this mission because we don't know how long this window's gonna be open. You know, one of the big themes of this letter and the other letter of, of Peter is that this world is not our home. This world is not our home. But Peter wants us to understand our hope is not in this world. We're sojourners, we're pilgrims. We're just passing through. Our real hope, our real home is in the new heavens and the new earth where righteousness dwells. Because of what Jesus did, we can be sure that when our time here on earth is over, we will receive that promise because of what Jesus did. But that doesn't mean that we should just hold our breath and wait for us to get out of here. Just wish to die, take up smoking, stop wearing your seatbelt, and just say, God, kill me so I can go to heaven. No, as long as there's breath in your lungs, he has a purpose for your life, and that purpose is to use you. There are things that he wants to do in you and through you to bring his light and love and compassion to this world so that he might be revealed through you. Okay, second thing here, how to live in the last days. And this part's shorter. In verse 11, Peter says this, since all these things are going to be dissolved. In other words, look around. Everything you see, it's all gonna burn. Your car, your house, all those things that you stress out over at work, it's all gonna burn. None of it's gonna last. You can't take any of it with you. It's all on the clock. It's all gonna burn. So if that's the case, then how should we live if everything's gonna burn? The answer is this. We should be diligent in two areas godliness and growth godliness and growth first of all godliness he says in verse 11 since it's all going to burn since we're living in the last days since we don't know when jesus is going to return it would be foolish to live a life focused on earthly things that aren't going to last instead our attention will be better spent on things that will last for eternity and what are those things that will last for eternity when everything else is destroyed two things god and human souls 
God and human souls. The, the focus of our lives should be on pursuing godliness and holiness because our relationship with God is eternal and because holiness and godliness matter for our mission. Remember what Jesus said, let your light so shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Both Peter and Paul, they talk about how Christians ought to live holy lives in godliness so that the way of Jesus is not reviled, right? Because when we're, when we're hypocrites, God still loves us, but it takes away from our effectiveness and our mission. So as people living in the last days, we're diligent about godliness and holiness, because our relationship with God lasts forever and because he's called us on a mission here and now. Those things don't just happen on their own. They require diligence. The other thing we should be diligent about is growth. Growth. Peter says in verse 17 that it's important for us to take care that we're not carried away into error. I was driving this week. I had to drive to Commerce City to pick up some books. And as I was driving, I, I, was, uh, I was making some phone calls like on the Bluetooth uh, on my, in my car, right? So I got caught up in this one conversation and I missed my exit, but I missed actually all of the exits that could have taken me to Commerce City. Like there's a lot. I missed them all. I ended up down at like uh, almost 64th and uh, I-25 before I realized that, oh yeah, I, I was supposed to be going to Commerce City. I had to turn around. I had to backtrack. Right? I didn't wake up that morning, by the way, planning, I'm going to waste a whole bunch of time and I'm just going to go way off course and get off track today. No, it happened. Why did it happen? Because I wasn't paying attention. I wasn't taking heed. I was just kind of on autopilot, just going without thinking about my destination. And the danger for many of us is that that's how we live our lives. We're just on autopilot. We're just going. We're not thinking about our destination. We're just going through our routine. We're busy. There's always something else to do. We aren't focused on, on our destination and how we're going to get there, and we can easily get off track. And Peter tells us that's a real danger. That's a real danger for those of us even who are currently stable. He says, don't go on autopilot. Give all diligence to, verse 18, growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The antidote to losing your way, the antidote to getting off track, the antidote to falling into all kinds of errors is to constantly be growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Now we know what it means to grow in the knowledge of Jesus, but what does it mean to grow in the grace of Jesus? It means to grow in your realization and your appreciation of God's grace towards you. And how do you do that? Well, you spend time reflecting on it, thinking about it, taking that in, remembering, re being reminded of what he has done for you. Not according to what you deserve, but he's poured out undeserved favor upon you, undeserved grace. Peter's final words are this. To him be glory, both now and to the day of eternity. When we talk about the patience of God, maybe there are some of you who, there's an area in your life where you need patience. Maybe there's an area in your life where you're asking those kind of questions like we talked about earlier. God, why aren't you doing something? Why aren't you doing it right now? Why is this taking so long? The big theme of First and Second Peter is this. God will keep his promises. God will keep his promises. He may not do things according to your timing or my timing, but his timing is perfect. He's got the master plan and God's patience waited for you so you can trust him with everything else. This world is not our home, but God has a purpose for us here. There are things God wants to accomplish in you and through you before he takes you home. So we look to Jesus, who the Bible says came in the fullness of time. At just the right time, he came, and he patiently endured suffering for your sake. And because he did that, you can say, God, my times are in your hands. Take me, 
lead me, use me for your purposes and your glory. I encourage you to say those things to God today. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. We thank you, Lord, that you have not dealt with us as according to what we deserve. Lord, if you did, who could stand? Lord, thank you that you have poured out grace upon us. Lord, I pray for anyone here today who, who hasn't yet received that gift. They haven't said, yes, God, I, I will. I'll, I'll take part in that great exchange. I'll give you my life and my sins and my folly, and I'll receive instead your grace and your kindness and your mercy, the hope and the promise of eternal life. Lord, may we live our lives with that hope and promise in mind. And Lord, may it be a catalyst that drives us to seek you and to love others. And we pray that in Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Northern Colorado. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com.